0: May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia, and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. Good sleep routines can promote healthy sleep, but poor sleep habits can worsen restorative sleep. This is Dr. Michael Lenz. I am the author of Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers, and Real Solutions for Real Pain. I am a pediatrician, an internal medicine doctor, as well as a lifestyle medicine physician and diplomat of the Board of Clinical Lipidology. I have been a doctor for over 26 years. My goals with the podcast and the book are to help inform, inspire, and equip those who are living with fibromyalgia. For too long, fibromyalgia has been dismissed as not a real problem, deserving of real answers and real solutions. As with the book and the podcast, this is for informational purposes. Only all signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual doctor. And now on to this week's episode. I will walk through healthy sleep habits that are important to implement consistently. It is important to remember that if you have fibromyalgia or other central pain processing problems like migraines, irritable bowel syndrome, POTS, irritable bladder, chronic neck or back pain, or others, that your body needs a consistent sleep schedule much more than those without fibro. It is easier to say than to implement, and many barriers exist within and without your body. Some initial questions I ask my patients with fibroin-related problems like IBS and migraines that are also vital for you to discuss with your doctor include the following. What times do you go to bed at night? What times do you get up in the morning? How do you wake up in the morning? Is it with an alarm or someone or something like a pet or train going by your home waking you up? What time do you go to bed on weekdays compared to weekends or days you work compared to days you don't work? Do you go to bed at the same time as your spouse? Does your spouse wake you up if they go to bed later than you or if they get up earlier in the morning than you do. What do you do during the 90 minutes before you go to bed? Do you have a routine to help you wind down or do you find yourself ramping up activity? Do you feel more stressed? I hope this episode at a minimum allows you to pause and consider these important questions. If you have met with a personal financial advisor to help get your finances under control, one of the crucial tasks to undertake is to discover what you are spending your money on and what your income is. Keeping track of this for a couple of months can reveal a sobering reality. You may only understand why you have money left over at the end of the month after you go through this self-study. You can use these insights to help your financial hell. Similarly, a sleep self-study can reveal incredible insights into your sleep struggles. You can do this by keeping a simple sleep diary, tracking when you go to bed and get up. What did you do before bed and what woke you up in the morning? Estimate your sleep latency, the time it took to fall asleep, and if you had any night awakenings. Also consider tracking this with an activity monitor that tracks your movements to estimate sleep. An Apple Watch or Fitbit are a couple of options. You can purchase apps on the Apple Watch like Sleepsea that are very helpful in tracking your sleep. They also give helpful reminders about the importance of sleep and time to start unwinding before you go to bed. Other smartphone apps like Sleep Cycle are other options that use sound to estimate movement and record snoring and sleep talking. You might find that you need to be more consistent than you thought. You may have forgotten, for example, that you stayed up to watch an exciting movie or sporting event that intensified your emotions instead of calming you down. This may have led to staying up 90 minutes later than you thought. The following days, you are likely to have less energy, more pain, and less likely to do the same level of activity you need to thrive with your fibro or related problems. You are likely to feel more emotionally on edge than you would have if you had gotten better sleep. An example that happens with teens often, and admittedly with many adults, is staying up late to have fun on a Friday night, sleeping in, and then having a shifted sleep schedule that may have a bedtime and wake time that could be off by three or more hours. Despite good intentions to go to bed at 9 p.m. on Sunday to recover, you struggle to fall asleep before midnight. The alarm wakes you up at 6 a.m. with significant sleep lethargy. You may have a headache. The sleep schedule change can set into motion a migraine, worsening IBS or intensification of fibro, known as a fibro flare, that may take days to recover from. When an advisor evaluates one's financial splurges and the negative impact on their financial standing, there is a solid need to question the high cost. it indeed had. Often, you don't have to say much about future financial choices. You just needed it laid out in front of you. You may have a friend with a higher income and greater discretionary spending capacity who spends the same amount as you, but it doesn't have as big of a hit on their financial health. Similarly, you may have a friend who can have the luxury of staying up later on some nights and then shifting schedules, as we discuss, but doesn't end up with as significant of health consequences as you. That makes it hard socially, but you have to be a self-advocate for your health. I will ask my teen patients who are struggling with fibromyalgia or related problems like migraines or IBS to keep a consistent daily schedule for two weeks and a diary on pain, sleep, diet, activity, menstrual periods, or other stressors, for example. I ask them to get up at least an hour before leaving for school, giving them enough time to prepare for the day. I have them turn off their electronics by 8 p.m. and start unwinding to be in bed by 9 p.m. Hopefully, sleep debt is recovered in the first week with some improvements in pain and energy and by the second week, a marked improvement is achieved. When I see them back in the clinic, and they are doing better, I ask them if the severe migraine and IBS early in the week that they used to experience are worth staying up late on the weekends and sleeping in later. A migraine or fibro flare won't kill you, but it can be highly disruptive, painful, and not worth it. They may ask why I said to do it for only two weeks, and I will tell them if I told you to do it forever, you would never have tried the experiment and never experienced success. As I have said before, removing the blindfold gives you greater insight into what seems to be suffering for unknown reasons without any recourse to protect yourself. It makes you an active participant in your health rather than passive recipient of seemingly unpreventable pain. In economics, it is called opportunity cost. The opportunity to stay up late and have fun has to be reconciled and, in a sense, paid for. If you have a more vigilant alarm system, it will go off at a lower threshold warning you not to repeat these actions. Unfortunately, if there is a delay in the consequences, you may not readily connect the dots like you have when a behavior results in immediate pain. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that it's more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. Now I want to talk more about sleep hygiene. Sleep hygiene and behavioral ways of managing sleep are extremely important. And for most people who are struggling with insomnia, are the first line of treatment and always should be implemented with any medical management. Many people who have medical problems that are coexisting with their fibromyalgia develop bad sleep habits that will persist even if their restless leg syndrome, for example, is treated. Specific habits that you should try to keep in mind including exercising regularly more often in the beginning part of the day and preferably not within four hours of bedtime. Now, for many people, especially if you have restless leg syndrome, you may find it is necessary to get exercise within four hours of bedtime to, in a sense, wear out your legs. Another important technique for you to implement is to avoid large meals that are especially high in fat and protein. These meals high in fat and protein are more likely to cause heartburn later at night, causing disruptive sleep. Also, try to limit the amount of processed carbs and added salt. Processed carbs, by their nature, typically have salt added to them. Large amounts of salt can make you feel thirsty and also can negatively affect your blood pressure. The increase in thirst will drive more water intake, and that can result in wakening throughout the night to urinate. Another important behavior to implement is limiting caffeine. This is tricky because many people who have a sleep disorder are using caffeine to compensate for the poor rest that they are getting. Many people, for example will also have ADHD with this will be more likely to consume high levels of caffeine to compensate. Unfortunately, caffeine also has an analgesic effect. Analgesic rebound pain can occur. This is often known as rebound headaches or migraines that occur when somebody stops drinking coffee, for example. If you are drinking lots of coffee, it's important to gradually wean down on that and then, hopefully, get your sleep treated so you don't need to have the coffee. Another important reminder is to restrict tobacco and ideally quit smoking. Tobacco has nicotine, which is a stimulant which will keep you awake. I had a patient years ago who had insomnia, despite many attempts to help and even medications he continued to struggle He was only getting four, maybe five hours of sleep, which was very frustrating for him. But he did get better. What cured him? It turned out a heart attack cured him. How did a heart attack cure his insomnia? Well, he stopped smoking. Cold turkey. We had talked about it, but he had never been able to quit. Once he quit smoking, he said he slept like a baby and was getting seven to eight hours of sleep every night. Another restriction that you need to strongly consider if you have problems with sleep and insomnia, let alone fibromyalgia-related problems, is to really reduce alcohol intake. Safe alcohol intake for a woman is one drink a day and for men, two or less. But if you are struggling with fibromyalgia or insomnia, it's best to avoid it, if at all possible, especially if you can avoid it before you go to bed. Unfortunately, many people who are struggling with insomnia and chronic pain may have found that alcohol gives a short-term relief. Remember how we talked about people who have ADHD and they often feel more overwhelmed before they go to bed? They may feel overstressed, One of the coping strategies, unfortunately, that they may have adopted over time is using alcohol because in the short term, it makes you feel less overwhelmed and can help initiate sleep. Unfortunately, after about four hours of sleep, there's rebound insomnia and there's interference in getting to the deep restorative sleep. On top of that, High levels of alcohol intake can have major consequences including high blood pressure, risk of cancer, also risk of fatty liver for example. It's also important to keep in mind when having good sleep hygiene is to use the bedroom for only two things if you're married and that's for sleep and for sex. It's not to read, it's not to look at your phone or watch TV, or talk about stressful topics. But it's just for sleep and for sex. For many people who are struggling, it can be a place of worry and hard time self-soothing. Consider taking any of those activities that you're doing before bedtime that might be helpful, like reading and doing them somewhere else, like the living room or the kitchen. It's also important, as I talked About earlier in this podcast to maintain a regular sleep wake cycle without any daytime napping if at all possible if you do have to nap keep it to less than 20 minutes sometimes life is unpredictable and you may have had an exceptional night where you were only able to get four to five hours maybe you work in the health fields like i do and had to go to the hospital the next day you might take a short nap. There is an app that I use on my phone called the Sleep Cycle that has a power nap option where i will set the alarm that'll wake me up before I drift off into deep sleep, which is usually less than 20 minutes awakening me up and helps me feel more restored and refreshed. Bedtime and relaxing. Try to avoid any distracting stimuli at bedtime, such as Loud noises, bright lights when not being used therapeutically, and extreme temperature variations. If it's the summer, it's important to have a cool bedroom, ideally, with temperatures on the more comfortable lower side to help you fall and stay asleep. Also, in the cold winters of northern climates, it's good to have the temperature not too low as to wake you up. Other Important factors include lying down to sleep only when feeling sleepy. Avoid wakeful activities at bedtime, like watching television, talking on the phone, and eating. Leave the bed if unable to fall asleep within 20 minutes and then return when sleepy. Maintain a consistent sleep-wake cycle And consider setting the alarm for the same time each morning, regardless of how much sleep occurs during the night. If you are using one of the sleep apps, it allows you to set a range of waking up. This range may be right around the time you need to start to get ready in the morning, hopefully, and allowing you enough time to prepare for the day. The sleep cycle will try to wake you up, at a time of sleep where you're likely to feel more refreshed. Sleep restriction therapy is another option for those who are struggling with insomnia. Sleep restriction therapy is therapy where, if you are waking up after you've had a few hours of sleep, but you just can't fall back to sleep, is then to get out of bed and start your day. Don't take any naps. And then as the day goes on the following day, you will be more likely to feel sleepy and fall asleep and have a longer duration of time in bed. This will help improve your sleep confidence. Relaxation training involves things like imagining a calm environment with comforting body perceptions such as warmth and heaviness of the limbs. You may have progressive feeling of heaviness starting in your toes and moving up your body to your hands, fingers, and just a calming imagery training focusing on pleasant images also is important to consider. Some people will do meditation. If they're part of a religious background, they may do some Bible study or reading or calming or listening passages that help them calm down. Light yoga before bed may help people relax if it's not a power or aggressive style of yoga. Abdominal breathing, where you're focusing on breathing using your your abdominal muscles, and the progressive muscle relaxation from the feet up to the facial muscles. Visual or auditory biofeedback therapy can be used, which teaches the patient to control specific physiologic factors such as muscle tension. For many people, counseling can be done. This can help identify and replace dysfunctional beliefs regarding sleep, overestimation and apprehension about the number of hours needed for sleep. And use of a journal to write down thoughts before you go to bed can be helpful. Cognitive Behavior therapy for insomnia can involve combination of cognitive therapy, stimulus control, and sleep restriction therapy with or without relaxation. For many of you listening, this may seem like a fantasy world. You have too many things that are out of your control to have consistent, good sleep hygiene. And for those of you who are going through that, my heart goes out for you. And I hope that your circumstances change so that you are able to more consistently implement these. Treating fibromyalgia is not one simple approach that's going to cure everybody. Treating fibromyalgia involves a multimodal, multifaceted approach, and sleep is very important for improving fibromyalgia and related problems. I hope this series on sleep was helpful for you. There's much more that could be said, but I hope that this gave you a much more in-depth understanding and tools that you can use to help you go from just learning to live with, but to conquering your fibromyalgia to lessen your symptoms and in some cases to recover from fibromyalgia and put it into remission. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you have, please hit the like or follow button, leave a review and five-star rating. That way more people can learn about how they can live better with fibromyalgia and related problems. If you have any questions that you would like covered on the podcast in future episodes, or just want to leave your feedback, please email me at drmichaellenz@gmail.com. at gmail.com. The link is in the show notes. Until next week, go team fibro.